the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 271 for August 7th, 2011. Clearwire commits to LTE, RIM introduces new smartphones, and Skype for iPad is released. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. This show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, first today, Joey had some issues with his recently purchased Nexus S4G. Joey, why don't you tell us about what went wrong? Well, you know, I'm, I don't really know what, 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 what happened or what caused it, but the, uh, the vibration motor that uh, gives you, you know, vibrate when rings or incoming messages or even the haptic feedback just stopped working. I've tried uh, many different battery pulls and, and different settings to see if it's a, a software issue or hardware issue. So looks like, unfortunately, I've got to head back to the Sprint store, which really irritates me because then uh, if they replace the device, which I, they should because I'm under 30 days, that's what I was actually worried about because this happened on the 14th day. And some of the carriers only have 14 day return policies on their devices. So uh, at least I, since I was actually out of town, I was traveling um it it was just a terrible time for that to happen and of course it was actually annoying to have that broken during this time because of the stuff i was doing uh, um when i was uh on vacation however uh with that problem aside uh the nexus s really really did uh, impress me this weekend because i was uh, traveling in an area where normally it's um you know not that good a sprint service out in uh, south dakota there it was uh it, it, it's something where it's, there's tons of Verizon everywhere, but not a, a ton of Sprint. And, and I spent a lot of time roaming on uh, 1X. And, and roaming on 1X on the BlackBerry was something that was just terrible for uh, for me. It was it was uh, a absolute battery drain. I mean, the thing would be like basically red hot in my pocket. And I could get maybe a, you know five hours of uh, standby time if I was lucky on the thing. And uh, the Nexus S was absolutely wonderful uh, roaming on 1X because it just, it stayed nice and cool. It The battery drain was about consistent with normal standby battery drain. Um, it, 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 would, it just behaved very, very well. Uh, and even in the areas where I was in the low, low sprint service, it was just fine. Um, and, and then I have to further go on to say that the Nexus S was... Uh, in this area, just because I was doing different things than I kind of actually normally do in my routine, I was using navigation, maps, uh, weather, um, a lot more frequent than I normally would. And the battery just kept lasting and lasting and going and going and going. And I, I, I ran navigation one night for an hour and a half, and it it really only dropped my battery a little bit. If I would have tried something like that with uh, Google Maps on, on, a, on the BlackBerry, it would have been dead long, long before the, the Nexus S even dropped, uh, you know, 10%. So uh, it's, it, it's awesome, Mickey. It really is. Um, and, and there's a lot of battery optimization, I can tell, just compared to the, the BlackBerry right off the bat here. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely happy with it. It uh, performed really well. You know, the the issue that you've had with the, the vibration is annoying. And, and like you said, you've got the the return period, the 30 days, they should swap it out, no problem. But of course, then that means, you know, resetting up the phone. You know, fortunately, uh, Android is nice. It'll be able to essentially reinstall everything without much, uh, you know, much happening on your part. You just have to reenter your credentials and it'll automatically start downloading everything again. So that's not that that's an issue, but I, I know where you're probably going to go with this. 
Well, the the real big issue is uh, it, what what I find annoying is that there's a lot of little little settings that aren't duplicated. It it would be so super easy for them to to add some of these other settings in the the settings menu. There's lots of them. It'll keep your Wi-Fi connections, but it won't remember if you have roaming data turned on. Just dumb little things like that that they could easily add to their 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 storage area and also icon locations and things like that. I mean, to me that's actually kind of a a huge pain is rearranging the the, the home screens again. Uh, the, the Google market is nice. It saves whichever applications you have installed. So that's actually a huge help. But then there's the things like the pictures and, and uh, application data that you cannot back up. I've got a, a, a handful of applications now that I'm kind of screwed on. So I'm going to have to start back over because I can't back up their data. So um, natively, and it's something that should be going up to the, the, the cloud storage, the Google storage, uh, for when you have to switch devices like this, so it's it it it's uh it's a it's a big inconvenience. Well, especially when you're traveling too. I mean, this entire thing happened, of course, when you were out, and uh, so I, I know you'll you'll take the time this week to go and get it swapped out. So we'll have to chat a little bit more about it next week because I'll be interested to hear the the whole process and how this ultimately turns out in the end for you. But uh, uh, you know, this was, I guess, your first real trip with it, uh, and you mentioned a few of the things that were really positive about you know making that switch over from BlackBerry. Uh, over to to Android, um, and I know there's a lot of great you know applications that can really help out with travel and stuff. Anything else you want to highlight with that? No, not really. I didn't really use anything specific, but the uh, the Google navigation application that is included uh, on uh, the Nexus, and I know a bunch of other the uh, the Android smartphones works very well. It you know gives you the turn by turn directions and gives you the 3D layout, and it uh, it does uh, it does what it's supposed to, and it really doesn't take a lot of battery it's uh, it's very impressive uh, also just as a side note um i saw a blackberry style in the wild uh, a purple one and i had to uh talk to them about that uh, particular phone saying how much i do really like it um and then i found another nexus s uh, on sprint uh, as well a family member had that so that was uh i was able to pick that one right out from the back of it so kind of an interesting uh interesting weekend you know, I, I saw my first BlackBerry playbook out in the out in the world this week, and that was kind of interesting. It was someone that uh, I was uh, t- have known for a while, and they were coming over to uh, to a meeting, and um, was very excited to show it to me, <laughs> and I was excited to see it because I had not seen a, a playbook out uh, since uh, since the launch. So uh, obviously, a lot of playbook uh, or excuse me, BlackBerry news this week, uh, not related to the playbook. So we'll get into that here, but let's start talking about. Some other news this week. First off, the FCC on Monday announced a spectrum sharing agreement with Canada and Mexican authorities that will share spectrum along the U.S. borders. Through arrangements with Industry Canada and Mexico's Secretariat of Communications and Transportation, the U.S. will share spectrum in the 700 megahertz band along both borders and with the 800 megahertz band in Canada. The agreement will speed deployment of mobile broadband near the borders to provide consumers 4G services. Qualcomm on Wednesday announced new branding for its Snapdragon processors. The new naming is an attempt by Qualcomm to lessen confusion on which chips are intended for which class of devices. Four new categories have been made, including S1, S2, S3, and S4. S1 devices are classified as mid-range smartphones with processors under 1 gigahertz. 
S2 denotes high-performance smartphones and tablets with 1 to 1.4 gigahertz processors and HD video capture. S3 chips are for advanced gaming, multitasking, and other high-end mobile devices with processors up to 1.5 gigahertz, but also support HDMI out, 5.1 surrounds, and 3D video and image capture. And finally, S4 processors are for next-generation devices with speeds from 1.6 to 2.5 gigahertz. It's kind of strange to actually put those uh, speeds in there because what happens is once we get uh, uh, a little bit of um, you know time behind that these these shift because then you know the clock speeds always go up so uh, I wonder if they're going to keep these conventions the same. You know they they do mention specific uh, uh, process or specific chipsets that they're talking about uh, with each of these classes right now. Now I'm sure that's going to change as they move forward because you know just to, to specifically say for the you know the S and S one and S two that to give that one gigahertz defining line uh, there I think are going to be processors under one gigahertz in mobile devices for quite some time now. Um, but I do see your point when you talk about I mean we're going to get to the point where almost all new high-end Android devices specifically, and probably iPhones too, because we think we're, they're going to be making that jump, are going to be in that S4 category. Um, you know, and there's probably going to be, going to need to be some shifting, like you mentioned. Um, but, uh, you know, that's it's kind of a, more of a branding thing. It's, it's kind of interesting because Qualcomm is not the most consumer-facing company. It's not like they really needed to do this to make consumers understand which processors were in their devices. Most consumers don't really care what kind of processor they have. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting move. Um, I'm not sure where they're going to go with this. Maybe they'll tie it in with uh, you know, some additional uh, marketing or something like that. Who knows? Depending on whatever uh, you know, devices pick up their products, I guess. Research firm IDC Thursday. They released their quarterly worldwide smartphone numbers, and they've confirmed Nielsen's results from last week. Apple, now the largest vendor in the world, uh, breaking down the data, Apple sold 20.3 million devices in the second quarter. That we already knew. That gives them 19.1% of the worldwide smartphone share, according to IDC. That is an increase of 8.4 million phones sold from the same period last year, and they're up uh, 141.7% from the 13% share that they held at that time. Also on the rise is Samsung, up from the 3.6 million phones they sold to 17.3 million in the second quarter of the year. And the Korean phone maker is now at 16.2% share. That's up 380%. The biggest decline came from Nokia. They sold 16.7 million phones, leaving them with only 15.7% of the market. That's down over 30% from a world-leading 24 million handsets that they shipped in the same period just a year ago. And then rounding out the list include RIM at 11.6%, HTC at 11%, and all others combined at 26.4%. Well, next, well, only a representative sample, mobile firm JumpTap uh, released ad data this week showing which mobile platform is most prevalent in which section of the country. The graphic created shows large sections of the Midwest and Northeast where iOS is the most dominant platform. That's compared to large groupings of states uh, where Android is king. Also, BlackBerry pulled in a nice-sized chunk of population and is the dominant platform in New York and throughout the D.C. areas. Now, again, this is just, you know, mobile ad data, but it still gives us a pretty good representative sample, and I thought it was kind of interesting to look and you know you can see what state you're in obviously joey's in an ios dominant state i'm in an android dominant state uh you know but like i said the midwest has got this kind of iphone dominance in minnesota wisconsin illinois all these you know big states uh it does make sense though uh when you talk about the blackberry states you know, first thing i did was look at new york and dc you know where you've got these financial and government sectors and absolutely it makes a lot of sense but then you see north and south dakota 
dominated by the blackberry. Who would have thought, you know? Uh, one interesting thing, though, a lot of out west here seems to be Android dominated. I'm not sure how that uh, you know plays into things or you know where people figure out this is you know the why this is um i i do have a hunch uh, and that is that it's mostly because of verizon and because verizon for the longest time was kind of the you know the unofficial carrier for droid devices granted the other carriers had android devices but you know people that were on verizon went out and picked up an android device when they wanted to buy a smartphone and uh so those those states out here including you know texas and arizona colorado utah idaho all of these states have great verizon coverage where some of the other smaller digital carriers like AT&T and T-Mobile have fallen fallen by the wayside. I don't know, Joe, if you've got any comments about this one. You know, I think that's exactly what has happened is that uh, the, the carrier preferences in certain areas has caused a particular uh, platform to be dominant. If you think of T-Mobile versus, uh, you know, Androids on uh, Verizon, late to the game and AT&T, that totally makes perfect sense. And really, there's there's no solid information that really means that you know any of these operating systems are more dominant than the others in these states. It's just how the ad data was pulled, and so it could be any number of things. You know, you could have people that are using their devices more in those states, and so that's why it pulls ahead. But anyway, kind of interesting. Check that one out if you're interested to see where your state lines up. Nine to Five Mac reported on Thursday that AT and T is set to start moving jailbroken tetherers using programs like MyWi off of unlimited plans and onto tiered options starting Thursday, August 11th. According to the piece, a reader had been informed that starting on the 11th, if he uses MyWi or any similar tethering program on his phone or use the phone as a modem, AT and T will automatically change the unlimited plan to a two gigabyte tethering plan for $45 per month. This would be done automatically and would not require any of his consent. According to AT&T, earlier this year, we began sending letters, emails, and text messages to a small number of smartphone customers who use their devices for tethering but aren't on our required tethering plans. Our goal here is fairness for all of our customers, and this impacts only a small percentage of smartphones in our customer base. The letter offers customers three different choices. They can either stop tethering and keep their current plan, including that grandfathered unlimited plan. They can also proactively call AT&T or visit a store and move to a required tethering plan or do nothing and they'll make the change to a tethering plan on their behalf. 9to5Mac and others say AT&T has confirmed this report like we had there, that uh, information from AT&T. Uh, there was a, a brief piece this week that also came out that said that Verizon customers that had rooted uh, devices that were on Android that were being used for unauthorized tethering, they were seeing something like this as well, but uh, no information has really followed up with that one and there's been no confirmation that that has actually been happening. But, um, you know, it is now the time. This is uh, something that they mentioned a few months ago, and now they are really cracking down on this. Um, I know someone who was using an AT&T SIM card that they had activated on just a feature phone and added an unlimited you know, data plan that was only a $15 data plan for a feature phone about a year ago, and then took that SIM and used it in a MiFi. Now, this is a, a scenario that uh, obviously I'm guessing a lot of you know, more savvy customers may have tried to do, where you, where you get a plan on a device that isn't necessarily for that particular uh, device, right? So like a MiFi device and you're using it on a feature phone data plan. And uh, he hadn't used it in a few months and recently turned it on and he got that uh, that text message immediately that said, hey, guess what? You're using 
the wrong data plan with your MiFi. So we'll be uh, switching you over unless you'd like to uh, give us a call. So he did and actually just canceled the whole line because it didn't happen to work. But they're they're really taking a hard stance on this. They're they're doing what they they can to you know make it so that customers cannot use unauthorized devices in a way that uh, you know we wanted to do. So it seems like it's very hard to get around this. Um, I know there's still going to be a lot of people that are going to try. Um, I just I'm not sure where where they're going to draw the line. There's got to be a certain amount of data that's being used. Uh, you know, where they're not just you know for someone I would guess that's you know using a jailbroken AT and T iPhone and they just happen to turn on my Y and and download you know two megs of data. I don't think they're going to say anything to them because I don't know that they really can see um, or they're going to flag accounts like that because it's still the SIM card is still registered to an IMEI as an iPhone. Right, um, the data is going to be done in a different way. It's going to be the packets are going to be sent and received in a different way uh, if you're doing it that way. But I'm not, we, we really don't know what's happening here. And so I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to, what they're going to be able to do or what people are going to be able to do to keep themselves on these, these plans, except not do these unauthorized things. Yeah. I think that's going to be the only really, uh, the only real safe way and, and either just not do tethering at all or uh, cough up the extra money that they're charging, which of course is, is too much based on, what they charge for the data in the first place, and then you're paying that much to access data you've already paid for again, that's where it really kind of breaks down for me, where their argument's like, well, you're doing something that's different. But no, it's data is data, and it should be two gigs. You're buying two gigs. You can use it whatever you want, like we talked about last week with one of the questions or you know the European way that it's done. It's just just something that makes sense. So until the carriers can get their act together and do it fairly, it, 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 this is going to be an issue. Well, AT&T says, of course, their goal is fairness. Verizon took a stance of if you've got an unlimited data plan and you want to add on tethering, they'll let you do it. They're going to let you add unlimited tethering you know, for, I think it was $30 a month on top of your unlimited plan. That's another $30 a month. So, um, you know, granted it's $15 more on Verizon to get unlimited tethering plus unlimited data, uh, than it would be on Verizon for 40 or AT&T to get your $45, four gigs of data, uh, which actually I think is what is actually happening here. I don't think it's two gigs for $45. It's two gigs that they add on top of that two gig plan that you pay 20, $25 a month for. So, uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens with this one as it plays out. I'm guessing we're going to see a lot of reports. If you are someone though that has had this happen to you, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear if uh, come this uh, what is that Thursday if this happens to you and you happen to be cut off. AT and T also this week introduced a change to its voicemail system. They're now requiring passwords for added security. Effective Friday, new customers, customers who change their number, customers who create a new inbox, or customers who upgrade to Visual Voicemail will need to set a password in order to check their voicemail. Customers will be able to opt out of the requirement to enter a password when calling from their handsets, though AT&T advises against this. The Wall Street Journal says that the change was made as a result of the voicemail hacking scandal that happened in the UK. Sprint on Monday began to offer total equipment protection plans to all customers during an open enrollment period that ends at the end of August. The cost of the program is $8 per month and protects against loss, theft, or damage with a $50 or $100 per month deductible depending on your phone model. Customers can enroll by calling or visiting Sprint or online at tepenroll.com. Now, of course, this goes into effect for anybody with any phone that's out there. That's why they call it open enrollment. So if you have purchased a phone and you're 
beyond uh, your initial grace period, as they call it, you can still do this. So make sure if you're someone who is looking to put insurance on your device and you've got a Sprint phone, that you take advantage of this before the end of the month. T-Mobile on Thursday issued its second quarter earnings, reporting yet another drop in customers and also revenue. For the period, T-Mobile lost 50,000 customers compared to the 99,000 during the first quarter. Also, 93,000 were lost in the second quarter of 2010, so it was a little bit better than that, uh, but still 50,000 lost. T-Mobile now has 33.6 million total customers. Total revenues were also slightly down at $5.1 billion. That's down $100 million from the last quarter. Blended churn decreased to 3.3% from the 3.4% in both the first quarter of 2011 and the second quarter of last year. And ARPU was at $53 for the period. That's up a dollar the, from the first quarter of this year. And for each of the previous quarters, they have also been up. Finally, T-Mobile said it's continuing its expansion of its faster HSPA Plus 42 megabit per second network, which now covers 170 million pops. Timo News on Monday reported that data plans will soon be a requirement for all smartphone purchases on the T-Mobile network. Starting on August 8th, which would be tomorrow, data services required to be added for all accounts when activating a smartphone, even when the device is purchased at full price. Though, as Timo News points out, a loophole in the T-Mobile system exists that allows employees to remove features from an account. No word from T-Mobile on this possible change. Well, Clearwire on Wednesday announced some pretty big plans bringing LTE technology to its 4G network. According to PhoneScoop, Clearwire will add time division duplexing LTE advanced ready technology to its IP network that is capable of reaching 120 megabit per second download speeds under optimal conditions. Field tests have been completed and the first deployments will be across its existing WiMAX footprints. The network will operate on the 2.5 gigahertz spectrum and will continue to build out its WiMAX network concurrently. The initial rollout will target high demand areas of current 4G markets, taking advantage of existing 4G infrastructure in order to reduce expenditures. According to Dr. John Saw, Clearwire's chief technology officer, this is the future of mobile broadband. Our extensive trial has clearly shown that our LTE advanced ready network design, which leverages our deep spectrum with wide channels, can achieve far greater speed and capacity than any other network that exists today. Clearwire is the only carrier with the uncumbered spectrum portfolio required to achieve this level of speed and capacity in the U.S. In addition, the 2.5 gigahertz spectrum band in which we operate is widely allocated worldwide for 4G deployments, enabling a potentially robust, cost-effective, and global ecosystem that could serve billions of devices. And since we currently support millions of customers in the 2.5 gigahertz band, we know that our LTE network won't present harmful interference issues with GPS or other sensitive spectrum bands. Clearwire has yet to launch a single new market, new WiMAX market in 2011, though. So uh, this is a, an interesting change for them, and I think it's very telling uh, when we look at what they what they're saying that they're going to do here. Uh, not only are they talking about LTE, they're talking about LTE Advanced. Now, if you go back about a year, I guess it is almost now, where we were talking about what is going to define a 4G technology. It was at that point that the ITU said it's going to be a technology such as LTE Advanced or WiMAX 2 that can achieve speeds up to or over 100 megabits per second. They say this LTE Advanced network that uses time division duplexing can reach 120 megabits per second. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm not excited, though, about this 2.5 gigahertz spectrum that they're talking about using. Uh, if they've got a deployment that's well built right now, I think it, it's 
you know, potentially okay that they're going to have markets where they can use this and have customers happy with it. But I know that uh, there are a lot of complaints with the current WiMAX deployments and people are not happy with in-building coverage. Um, And uh, so I'm I'm also thinking too that the fact that we have not seen any new WiMAX markets here in 2011 does mean that this is going to be uh, what they're going to focus on moving forward. Because I I just, I I still get frustrated with, with this. It's great to see you know, when the service works, it does work fairly well. Joey, I know if you've experienced that as well. Um, but, but you know, th- it was time. They needed to announce this. They need to make this change. Yeah, they really do. It's something that uh, we just don't, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem to be cutting it right now compared to the LTE uh, rollout of Ryzen. Of course, that's who they really need to compete with right now. You know, they were uh, first in the 4G, the, the real 4G. And they didn't really take advantage of being first. They they really didn't uh, continue to set uh, you know keep keep the, the the wheels turning here in in deployments and rollouts. Yeah, and I'm unfortunately not in a 4G area, so I don't get to even really use it. I've got a 4G USB stick from Sprint, and the only time I really even get to try it is when I travel. And even then, uh, you know, some of the places that I go, I. I can't use it. It just doesn't work. You know, I was on a trip to to Minneapolis, which is a well built out 4G area, and it it, it worked for all of about uh, you know 15 minutes of a drive where I had someone in the car was using it. But other than that, it was just 3G the entire time. Yes, and I've had my phone for two weeks and have used 3G for uh, about five minutes or 4G. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it's uh, in some of the areas, it's it's having an LTE network laid over on top of where WiMAX is right now is not going to serve any new customers. Now, they are saying that they're going to be focusing on high demand areas. My guess is a lot of those include East Coast areas. Um, I'm going to be spending some time uh, doing some additional traveling here over the next few weeks. And so I'll be reporting back on that because I, I do want to try it out in some other cities that I haven't been to yet. Um, but, you know, I, I just feel like it's it's this 2.5 gigahertz spectrum is going to be the Achilles heel for Clearwire. And uh, so hopefully they can, they can do some different things and get it uh, so that it works for more customers, or at least gives more customers, um, you know, a better sense of, of how they think it should work. Metro PCS on Tuesday released its second quarter results, posting increases in profit revenue and subscribers during the period. During the period, the company posted profits of 5.6% of an increase that's up to $84.3 million, while total revenue was up 19% to $1.2 billion. MetroPCS added 199,000 subscribers in the period. That's down versus last quarter, but an increase of 19% to over 9 million customers for the year. Churn rose half a point to 3.9%, and ARPU climbed from $39.84 to $40.49. And during that uh, announcement, they also announced that they would be transitioning their CDMA voice traffic over to Voice over LTE starting in the first quarter of 2012. During the quarterly earnings call, CEO Roger Linquist said, We're planning to begin introducing voice over LTE capable handsets early next year and move voice as well as data traffic onto that LTE network. As PhoneScoop points out, voice calls placed over the LTE network won't be traditional circuit switched calls, but will instead rely on voice over IP. Joey, we have talked about the way that this technology works and how they're going to be implementing this. And I think it's it's an exciting time when we talk about moving away from the circuit switched over to uh, you know the traditional the traditional or the the voice over IP you know how we will you know do all of our calling now over the internet and I think it's it, it means a lot um, but at the same time you have to still have a, a fail safe and you have to have that network that you can roll back on um, but uh, you know for for what they need and to manage all their capacities I think it does make a lot of sense that they start doing this early next year and you know what they are the forerunners of this and they are going to be you know far ahead of, of I think any other carrier at this point. 
Well, you know, it's it's one thing you need uh, you need low latency and you need uh, fast network equipment in order in order to pull this off because you know once these uh, time delays add up, it actually becomes difficult to have a phone conversation. And of course, if you have dropped packets, you know you get those breaks in your conversation. And having uh, circuit switch networks gets gets around all that because it's, it's you know it's a totally different style connection. Um, so you know going over to VoIP is fine, but of course it, it requires a lot of uh, infrastructure on the backside. Well, I don't think that there's going to be uh, there's going to be anyone that's going to expect it just you know right out the gate to be absolutely perfect. I think it's going to take some time here, um, you know, especially because you know their 4G network is not nationwide like Verizon says that they're going to be by 2013. So it, there are going to be a lot of times, and you're still going to be using circuit switch at least at least initially. Oh, absolutely, and and of course it actually should work perfectly when you're actually using it. Uh, it but, uh, you know, people's expectations here of digital equipment and stuff, it, everything seems to be a lot lower than it used to be as far as uh, quality that's uh, provided. And I wonder what they're going to do for, for plans. You know, are they going to basically just say everyone gets, a, you know, an unlimited plan now with unlimited, you know, data? Or, well, maybe not data because they're going to still cap that. But, you know, how, how, is, how are they going to differentiate this, you know, voiceover uh, LTE versus, you know, the, the traditional minutes? That's actually very easy because it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the packets can be tagged, uh, you know, their, their quality of service, you know, routers and the towers and all that will actually give priority to the, the, the data packets that contain the, the voice over IP, voice over LTE uh, information. So those will always uh, go uh, have priority in the routers uh, other than just the, the data uh, compared to the data. So it's um, it, it shouldn't really be an issue at all. They can totally track and decide what data is what. I think it's it's exciting though. I, I'm I'm glad to see them making this jump, and uh, Verizon should be doing this here. I'm sure before too long, uh, though. I don't think it's going to be by early next year, like Metro PCS says. And finally, in the news today, Rogers Wireless this week brought back one of its most popular smartphone deals: six gigs of data for only thirty bucks a month through September 30th. Subscribers who sign up for a three-year term can add the option to their plans, plus are able to share the data with up to four other devices for only ten dollars per month on those select devices. Finally, any new or existing customers on the My10 promo plan can upgrade their data allowance from 1 gig to 6 gigs of data for an additional $10 per month. This is one of those plans that I know a lot of Rogers customers uh, you know chose when they when they had them and they had the ability to get it because you know it's really nice to be able to use that 6 gigs of data for whatever you want. Um, the iPhones that are up there in Canada are able to use this for tethering. They don't have to pay anything additional a month. 30 bucks, 6 gigs, use it forever you whatever you want. And hey, let's say you get an iPad that's got you know, 3G enabled uh, capabilities on it, 10 more dollars a month. You get to share that amount of data. It makes all the sense in the world. Uh, this is the type of model that we should be seeing for more than just Rogers. Well, thanks to our first sponsor of the show, Square Trade. Protect your investment through a special offer from Square Trade. They offer prices 70% lower than in-store warranties. Visit squaretrade.com slash junkie and you'll get an additional 25% off your order. They offer a five-day guarantee, meaning they have a fixed device or your money back within five days or less squaretrade.com slash junkie click on get a warranty choose your device and once you're done you'll see your podcast listener discount in your order summary for 25 percent off your purchase thanks to square trade for sponsoring the show 
Target and Radio Shack this week dropped their prices on the iPhone 4, an action that likely signals the coming of the next generation device. Radio Shack is running a promotion this week that lowers the price of the 16 gig iPhone 4 down to $169 and the 32 gig model down to $269. Cut another $100 off if you bring an older iPhone model in as a trade. Target will take you $20 deeper, 16 gig models at $149 and 32 gig units at $249. Of course, a new two-year contract is required and no pricing changes have been made at carrier locations or apple.com. RIM on Wednesday announced five new BlackBerry 7 smartphones. That's two new Bold models and three new Torch models. The new BlackBerry Bold 9900 and 9930 are RIM's thinnest smartphones ever, offering a full QWERTY keyboard with a touch display at only 10.5 millimeters thick and the first to offer built-in support for NFC. The new Bold has a 2.8-inch capacitive touchscreen at 640 by 480 resolution, a 1.2 gigahertz processor, 768 megs of memory, 8 gigs of on board memory, support for micro SD cards, 5 megapixel camera, and comes in both GSM and EVDO configurations. Next, the new BlackBerry Torch 9810, the successor to the Torch 9800 featuring a 253 DPI high resolution, 3.2 inch touch display with a slide out keyboard. Features include a 1.2 gigahertz processor, 768 megs of RAM, and 8 gigs of internal memory. Finally, there's the BlackBerry Torch 9850 and 9860, bringing an all-new touch-only design with the largest display at 3.7 inches on any BlackBerry to date. Other features include a 1.2 gigahertz processor, 768 megs of RAM, and 4 gigs of internal memory. The 9850 and 60 come in several configurations, including a dual-mode CDMA UMTS device and a GS only version with two variants one quad band gsm and edge with quad band 800 850 1900 and 2100 megahertz hspa plus read at&t or 900 1700 and 2100 megahertz umts for t-mobile all five devices will be available starting later this month on 225 carriers around the world that have already commenced or completed certification of the devices now there was a lot of announcements that came out following the blackberry announcement first off at&t announced that their three new blackberries coming would be the bold 9900 torch 9860 and torch 9810 all running on AT&T's HSPA Plus network with speeds up to 14.4 megabits per second. Now, there's, these are being billed as 4G handsets, but keep in mind they are only 14.4. They will feature the BlackBerry 7 system software, which according to RIM is faster, more efficient, and easier to use than BlackBerry 6. Additional features include a digital compass, support for augmented reality apps, and a web surfing 40% faster than BlackBerry's running OS 6. The Torch 9810 will be available later this month for an undisclosed price, and the Bold 9900 and Torch 9860 will be available later this year. Then Sprint on Wednesday announced the expansion of its BlackBerry portfolio with the newly announced Bold 9930 and the Torch 9850. Currently slated for a fall launch, both will feature BlackBerry OS 7, 1.2 gigahertz processors, 5 megapixel cameras, and world roaming capabilities. Pricing and exact launch schedules will be made closer to the launch. Then on Wednesday, Bell Mobility announced they'll be releasing the Bold 9900, Torch 9810, and Torch 9860, though their dates and pricing were not released. 
Rogers then followed up on Thursday with the announcement of the upcoming availability of the Bold 9900, Torch 9810, and Torch 9860. Pricing under a three-year agreement will be $249 for the Bold and $199 for each of the Torches. Again, no word on when they will be released. And then a roadmap from TELUS posted by BGR shows that all six Blackberries will or six new Blackberries will be coming to the carrier in the next two months. Of those, you've got that new Torch 2, that Bold 9900, and the Torch 9860. Then you've also got the new Curve Apollo, BlackBerry Orlando, and BlackBerry Bellagio, which could be the Curve Touch and the Bold 9790. Rim on Wednesday announced that all of these devices would be coming, uh, but uh, or excuse me, three of these devices would be coming. The other three have yet to be announced. So Joey, there's the BlackBerry news for the week. A lot of it here. Uh, you know, Rim does things a little bit differently, right? You know, they make an announcement. They say, hey, we've got all these devices available, and there's going to be a bunch of announcements. But it doesn't feel nearly as succinct as you know what you find with some of the other carriers it's just kind of like hey we've got these phones out there and now that you know the carriers can pick them up but it's never this you know joint launch between manufacturer and carrier no and there's nothing we've seen here uh, that they announced that was not already we've not known about for months and months like the bold touch for example i mean that was announced uh, a thousand years ago i think it was. and these other ones we've known about long before that uh, official announcement too so i mean we've seen these uh for i think in february january is when we first really saw these so uh, they've been a long time coming it's obviously good they've got some refreshes finally Uh, i mean we really haven't seen anything since the uh bold 9650 and uh these are quite a bit better but then again you know we've got the same os uh that's been refreshed a little bit running on these so we'll really have to 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 wait and see how the reception uh no pun intended is on these devices and and you know they they released seven models but really it's just three models with you know gsm cdma variants in there so it's it's and they're just minor refreshes of what they currently have like the torch and the bold which uh, that that is a a good upgrade for the bold moving to the touchscreen. That is something that's uh, a, a nice addition. Uh, and the storm is you know it's just basically a new version of the storm. You know it is the storm, but it's not. You know they they got rid of the, that SurePress screen that was just horrid. Um, they went to all capacitive. But yeah, it's still just an all touchscreen, you know, BlackBerry. And uh, I I do kind of like it. But at the same time, if I were to choose one of these, I think I would go for the, you know, the the 9900 series. I do like the bold line. I like having a front facing keyboard. um, and, And I think the faster processor is going to actually kind of catch up this BlackBerry to where it should have been, you know, this time last year with, you know, a a one plus gigahertz uh, processor in it. Absolutely. The the only problem we have with like the the all touchscreen one is it's just BlackBerry OS was never designed for a touchscreen. It it never had that uh, capability in there from from the start compared to Android and and iOS. It was always supposed to be a touch interfaced uh, operating system and and they've kind of patched it, you know, band-aided it to give it this capability. So I'm uh, kind of skeptical and, and you know, it, it shows right now if you use a, a Storm or Storm 2, and I've had some experience with the Storm 2, it's just it, it's just not smooth like it, it is on some of the other, uh, you know, touchscreen from the start. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I, I look at these and I say, hey, these are absolutely 100% something for RIM to get out before the Cunix phones. This is the stopgap. These are the devices that are, are going to keep people buying Blackberries, if they're still buying Blackberries, uh, before they come out with these Cunix-based phones sometime probably next year. 
uh, you know, and don't count on it. I wouldn't even be surprised if this is uh, if there's going to be a whole other uh, line of models released before those particular phones get out. I just uh, I just have this feeling that it's going to take longer than uh, longer than we all hope. Yeah. Well, either way, I, I think it's good that, uh, you know, at least here in the U.S., we've got both AT&T and uh, Sprint first coming out and saying that, hey, we've got these new devices. We've seen some rumblings of both T-Mobile and Verizon, but uh, nothing official from either of them yet. We'll be reporting on that uh, when they report on them. Nokia on Monday announced the Nokia 500 running Symbian Anna and a 1 gigahertz processor. The 500 features a 3.2-inch capacitive touchscreen with 640 by 360 resolution. It also has a 5-megapixel camera with video capabilities, quad-band GSM and Edge, and pentaband HSUPA 3G up to 14.4 megabits per second. Other features include 2 gigs of storage, microSD cards up to 32 gigs, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 2.1, GPS, and FM radios. The 500 will be available in the third quarter for $216 US. Nokia on Thursday threw up a page on its Swedish site providing the first indication of when the Migo-powered N9 would be available. A countdown timer on the site pegs the launch of the device at 10 a.m. on September 23rd. While the device seems to be a dynamic, uh, seems to be dynamic depending on the visitor's site, visitor's location, the timer will likely be only relevant to Swedish buyers. The official launch information has not yet been provided. Well, this is my next on Monday. Released pictures and reported specs of the Motorola Pax, said to be the next iteration of the Expert, featuring Sprint branding, the cousin to the Droid Pro or Expert, as Sprint calls it. Will have a dual core process support for Sprint's 1X advanced push-to-talk system, and a refined styling and design. No word from Sprint or Motorola about the device. Walmart on Tuesday made the Sharp FX Plus available from its website. The FX Plus is the successor to the FX and now features Android 2.2, a 3.2-inch touch display, sliding QWERTY, 3-megapixel camera, and more. The phone will run on 3G data up to 7.2 megabits per second on the AT&T network. The FX is free on contract or $350 without. Huawei on Wednesday introduced the Vision, an Android 2.3 gingerbread-powered device with unibody construction. Features include a 1 GHz Qualcomm Snapdragon processor, 3.7-inch screen, 5-megapixel camera, and LED flash with autofocus, 720p video recording, and a 3D home screen interface. The Vision will be available in select markets in September. Pricing and carrier launch partners were not announced. Motorola on Thursday announced the XT531 smartphone. The device features Android 2.3 gingerbread and a 3.5-inch touchscreen. It also has a 5-megapixel camera, 3G data, and 28 days of standby. Uh, The uh, single-SIM card models will be available starting this month in China, with a dual-SIM version coming this fall. The XT531 will be marketed as the Motorola Fire XT in Europe and as the Motorola Spice XT in Latin America, both coming this fall. Samsung and Sprint on Friday announced the Conquer 4G, a highly affordable Android 2.3 smartphone. It features a 3.5-inch touchscreen, 1 gigahertz processor, and a 3.2-megapixel camera. The 4G Conquer will be available starting August 21st for $99 with a two-year contract and $50 mail-in rebate. Well, looking for another way to support The Cell Phone Junkie, you can visit us on The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. It's our bi-monthly premium podcast, $5 a month, $12 a quarter, or $45 a year. We'll give you in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. A big thank you to everyone that subscribes. Well, in this week's show, we talked about making smartphone operating system changes, and we want we went into what you need to 
know and how to make an OS transition simple and painless. Joey has just done one recently. I've done many over the course of the years. And so we really dug into what switching from one smartphone OS to another really means and what you need to think about. We go all the way from start to beginning. So it's going to be one of the more comprehensive shows you hear about switching. Well, Tip B on Monday reported that iCloud users are now able to stream and download TV shows previously purchased on the iPhone and iPad. Previously, users had been able to download purchased music to iOS devices only. So I tried this out and was able to uh, pull up a show, uh, a TV show, The Office. I had bought, uh, boy, I don't know, a couple of years back, and I was able to start it uh, downloading right away uh, over the uh, the Wi-Fi network. And so it was pretty nice to see. Uh, so if you are someone who has purchased a lot of uh, TV show content on your iOS devices, you can now not have to store that with you all the time. You can just download it while you're on the go. Pretty nice. Kyocera on Monday announced Android 2.3 Gingerbread would begin rolling rolling out to the Echo. The update brings Pinch to Zoom, an improved downloads app, an upgrade to the to Swipe 3.0 and Eco Mode. Users will be notified when their device is ready for the update. You can check manually through the system's menu. HP on Monday released WebOS 3.0.2 for the touchpad. The update offers improvements to the calendar, email, music, photos, videos, text assist, and web browsing applications as well as general system and security updates. The 38 megabyte download is available through system updates. And also, if you're looking to pick up a touchpad soon, HP dropped the price $100 uh, if you're looking to pick up a touchpad. Uh, also, if you uh, find your way into a Staples store, I know this weekend they had it for an additional $100 off, so you could get it for the low price of $299, $300 for a touchpad, a very, very cheap price for it. And I've uh, been been listening to and reading a lot of reviews of this new build, the 3.0.2, and it sounds like uh, the touchpad is almost a brand new device. Uh, this is uh, kind of similar to what you know WebOS users experienced when they got the point updates uh, back for the the palm pre and palm pixie over the years uh, so it's uh, it's a nice thing to see if you've got a touchpad hopefully this new update uh, makes you happy with it yeah i'm glad that they've uh, got this update out and it sounds like people are really happy with that uh, it, that it, it's got so much potential to be really really good and the initial reviews were kind of bad but don't let that sour you you know once they get these things fixed up and, and at that price uh, that that is a very good deal for what uh, you know potentially you could get obviously you don't want to uh, count on the future updates helping it but uh, you know based on its current uh, you know with this new update it it's a, a contender that will really be up and coming uh, for the tablet market. Yep. And there's something to be said about WebOS. I think it's one of the more interesting operating systems out there, and uh, it's a lot of fun to use. And if you're someone who's you know been in the, the WebOS ecosystem, you're going to probably be very, very happy with it. You know, I just, uh, my wife has a, the Palm Pre, and I'll grab a hold of it, and it's just so fluid. I love switching between applications. It's like, why isn't Android like this? And then I grab the uh, the iPad or the, the iPod Touch, and I feel like I'm in the Stone Age trying to switch between applications on that, because it's, it, it's just, it, it's awful in comparison. I mean, it, terrible. Uh, I can't even say how bad it is compared to the Pre. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, you know, I look at, uh, at the pre and, you know, the pre two and now the pre three, which who knows when that's going to come out. You know, obviously AT&T has got the veer, which I don't know. I, I really don't think that was the device they should have launched. I think they should have come out with the pre three just because there's going to be some, you know, higher end users that are going to be interested in, in picking it up. But, you know, either way, um, a touchpad here, 3.0.2 is out, and you can probably pick it up for uh, still a relatively cheap price. Uh, if you hadn't heard about that, check out your local Staples market because you may be able to get $200 off the initial sales price.
Apple on Monday made a beta version of its iCloud.com live for developers. The site provides web access to your Apple Mail, Contacts, Calendar, Find My iPhone, and the new iWork for web. With the launch, Apple enabled buy more storage options for those that want additional space over the 5 gigs of free storage space provided. Options include 5 gigs, which is free for every iOS 5 user. Then you've got 10 gigs for $20 a year, which is actually 15 gigs because you still get that 5 gigs free. If you want to upgrade to another 20 gigs, that's $40 a year, giving you 25 total. And a $50 or 50 gig plan, which is $100 a year, gives you 55 gigs in all. iCloud is slated to be launched later this fall in conjunction with the iOS 5 release. Uh, so this is some pretty exciting stuff here, I think, for those that are, are really looking to uh, you know to use iCloud to its fullest extent and you want to do a lot of backup and stuff like that. Pretty reasonable prices. $100 a year for 50 gigs um, is actually you know fair. I think that's you know that's that's what Dropbox charges is uh, 50 bucks or 100 bucks for 50 dollars, which when you think about it is only like eight bucks a month. It's it's pretty pretty cheap for 50 gigs for the entire year. So that's that's not bad. Skype on Tuesday released Skype for iPad, the full featured native application including instant messaging, audio and video calls, and works over both Wi-Fi and 3G networks. The app allows for chats to occur while in calls and will run in the background while you multitask. The app is free and available in the iTunes App Store. Now, of all the applications that Skype has come out for, boy, I, I think this really has to be one of the more most um, you know substantial and uh, most poignant ones for them because the iPad is such a revolution for so many people and how they communicate. Um, there are so many people that are out there that have, have laptops that have front-facing cameras on them that um, have never used Skype, or they use it very rarely. And to see something like this come to the iPad, I think is going to, because it's so easy, is going to change the way that Skype and people interact uh, with video calling. You know, FaceTime is kind of neat, but FaceTime is only good if you've got someone else that has an, an iOS device. This really goes to, you know, any of the, I don't know how many, I'm going to make up a number, 5 billion computers on the, on the, on the world, right? You know, so, um, and, and also mobile phones. You can use Skype with a lot of different mobile phones now. So this is a pretty big deal. And I think the, this launch is going to really do some big things for them. Um, I, I'm excited about it. Have you, have you downloaded this app yet, Joey? You know, I haven't downloaded it. I have not yet tried it. So uh, we'll have to give this a shot here sometime this week, make you give a, a Skype call. And then I think... If I remember correctly, I think the uh, the Android uh, one on my Nexus S got updated here within this last week for video chat support as well. Uh, so uh, I think that's um, I think we've got uh, some some good uh, synergy here. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. On Thursday, they updated for a number of Android devices. Those include the Galaxy S and S2 lines, the Droid Charge, and the Thunderbolt, as well as the Evo 3D and the 4G. So check out the full list. We'll post in the show notes here. It is a free download, and uh, your device does have to be running Froyo or higher, uh, so make sure that you've got that there. But yeah, Skype is uh, you know doing some big things here. Obviously, you know we, we were a little concerned when they were purchased by Microsoft earlier in the year, but uh, haven't made any big changes yet. And uh, if you're a Skype user, it's it's really, uh, you know, it's a good thing. You know, the more devices it's on, the better. Verizon Wireless updated VZ Access Manager on Tuesday, bringing compatibility to Mac OS Lion. Uh, mobile broadband users can now use any of the following devices with Apple's new desktop. 
LG VL600, LG Novatel USB 50, uh, 551L, Pantech UML 190, and 290. Additional broadband devices will be added in August. More information can be found on the software update page. Well, following up on a report from last month, HTC explained the details behind its bootloader unlocking process on Wednesday. Users will be able to begin unlocking the Sensation, Sensation 4G, and Evo 3D through a registered account with HTC, requiring them to accept terms of the process that will void the warranty of the device. The web-based tool will then provide them the unlocking device ID token, which can then be entered into the device. Following the bootloader unlock, the owner can then install uh, custom software and make other modifications to the device so check that one out if you've got one of those htc devices and after a midweek release in select markets the TouchWiz ux update is now available for the samsung galaxy tab 10.1 the update includes enhancements such as live panels a mini mode tray an indicator quick panel and a photo editor to download visit settings about tablet and then tap on the update button i've actually seen this in action i had a co-worker who's got this uh, tab 10.1 he updated his uh, to the TouchWiz UX, and I am uh, very impressed with it. It adds a lot of great functionality, and it doesn't, uh, you know, muck up the operating system like sometimes these these you know these skins or overlays or whatever you want to call them do. So uh, this was really really nice to see, and I'm glad that they were able to get something very very positive out. Well, we've got some questions here this week. First one comes from Angel, and he says to Mickey and Joey, first off, I'd like to say you guys are doing an awesome job. I live it, listen to your show religiously. My question I have is about a jailbroken iPhone on Verizon. I purchased the Google Voice tweak that fully integrates Google Voice with my iPhone. Since the Verizon iPhone does not have simultaneous voice and data, would my Verizon minutes be used when I'm using Google Voice? The app I'm talking about is GV Extension on Cydia. They also have one for SMS that fully integrates with the iPhone's SMS application. Thanks for all your hard work on Hell. Well, on Hell, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your comments. Um, and uh, the answer to this one is, is it, it looks like, and this is from what I can tell, um, because it's a system extension, not a standalone app, uh, it is a pretty seamless job of really integrating Google Voice into the iPhone, into the phone application, meaning it is definitely using your voice minutes when you're calling. Um, it's it's right in that phone module, so it's not going to route the calls over over the data network. So you're still going to uh, be able to, um, where you know where you're on Wi-Fi or whatever, use use your data. Of course, you can't use um, you can't use it when you're out and about, though. You cannot use it over the uh, 3G network. So just uh, keep that in mind. But yes, that is a, a nice uh, thing about jailbreaking is that you can do that full integration with Google Voice. And thank you again for listening. Next is a question from Patrick. He says, hey, guys, love the show. Keep it up. My question is to why does Android use so much battery when I'm on 3G? Uh, I'm on a previous user of Nokia, BlackBerry, and Windows Phone 7 devices, and on those phones, battery depends on your usage. The more you use it, the less battery you'll have, which makes sense. When using Wi-Fi or 3G has had minimal impact in the past on my battery life. I'm currently using the Samsung Captivate. On Wi-Fi, I will get a good two days on a charge with my normal use. On 3G, I get only eight hours. I even deliberately minimize my use on the phone on 3G, and I still use a lot of battery. It only lasts eight to ten hours. If I use those battery-saving applications like Juice Defender or Green Power, which work by turning off 3G for 15 minutes and then turning it on for one minute, I get two days on the charge. But the side effect of that, of course, is that my phone functions more like pull email since it only checks every 15 minutes rather than the true push 
where I can check it in real time. The battery on Wi-Fi is absolutely fine. Why is there such a dramatic discrepancy? The huge power consumption, or maybe just on 3G in general? Is Android doing something else where you have uh, when you are in 3G that uses more power? Uh, thanks, Patrick. All right, Patrick. Well. This is a good follow-up from the conversation we had last week where we were talking about, you know, the differences between 3G and Wi-Fi and, and the proximity to the base station and the, the power output needed by the device and stuff like that. Um, it could be a number of things. So let me run down some of them here and hopefully some of these will um, will, will, will click and, and they can make some changes in, in the way that you're using your device. So the first thing, watch the arrows uh, near the data icon on the top of your screen. Take a note, if they're blinking a lot, that means that your phone is sending and receiving receiving a lot of data. This can be caused by a lot of things, including email, home screen widgets. So if you've got a lot of home screen widgets that are doing things like checking your weather, checking sports scores, stock quotes, uh, Facebook, Twitter, any of those widgets, can those can all be pulling a lot of data. Also, the applications that sync constantly, like your Twitter client. Let's say you've got Seismic that syncs every 15 minutes, or you've got you know whatever it is that's it's pulling data like Facebook all the time. Uh, that's going to be something that's going to drain your battery a lot. And if you can hone in on if you have more you know one or more things that are pulling data all the time like that, maybe you know cut those things back so they're not pulling all the time. That's uh, that's probably my my first recommendation there. Uh, the next thing you know of course you're using AT and T uh, the Captivate. Are you maybe in a low signal area? This is one of the biggest culprits since your phone may have to work harder uh, to maintain the phone's service. So poor service areas are killers for batteries, and uh, they may be causing you big issues with your data there as well. Uh, also, listen back to last week if you hadn't uh, yet, and uh, we talked all about use of 3G versus Wi-Fi and the difference on battery life. Well, you know, there, there could be a couple of things I think of offhand. Yeah, it could be a defective device. I mean, that is possible that there's just something wrong with the radio and the 3G uh radio isn't uh working very efficiently uh i'm thinking to my uh blackberry style that i just got replaced it had a bad antenna in it and of course a side effect of that is that everything where i normally worked and and at home the phone still worked fine for me but my battery life was a few hours short shorter every day because it was working harder to maintain that connection uh, even though it, it to me it didn't seem any different, but looking at of course the 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 uh, RSSI number um, when you put it on the BlackBerry, you can see that the signal strength is in fact lower than it really was before. So uh, that could be an issue, um, you know, because like you said, when you're closer to the Wi-Fi, it, it doesn't have to work as hard to to move the data. Also, it could be just uh, it could be just the phone's implementation of it. Maybe a firmware update will fix it, maybe in the future or something like that. But um, I, I definitely look. Uh, towards that way because you've had previous experience with other phones that are using data and haven't really seen a big difference so uh, and like you said mickey you know you're using a lot more data with the android phone so it could be a combination of those things yeah unfortunately eight hours is a little bit low i I would not uh, say that that is um normal I, I know a lot of listeners to this podcast go man eight hours i would love to get eight hours but then again you're you're using your phones uh, you know very very extensively so um, I think on average, um, you can probably go somewhere around 20 to 24 hours with moderate usage on an Android device straight without having to charge it. Because usually, um, I, I've seen most people with the standard batteries usually are somewhere around you know that 20 to 30 percent mark by the end of the day. I don't know, Joey. Now that you you've started using your device a lot, uh, you know you've got uh, you've got some experience. What are you seeing? Well, right now I'm, uh, I get down to the last, you know, it's telling me to charge up. So I think that's around 15 to 20% where it's telling me to charge up at the end of the day. Okay. All right. So you're, you're a little bit more than that, but you're making it through a whole day with, with really no problems. 
Yeah, I am. And in some days it's more than others. It really kind of depends what I do with the device, but I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any issue like this with the Nexus S. Like I said, over the, the, the vacation I had, it did extremely well uh, compared to my BlackBerry. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So those are hopefully some things that can get you, get you in the right direction there, Patrick. And, you know, give us a, give us a shout if you figure out if there was something specific that was doing it for you. Next one here is a comment from Brad. He actually follows it up with a question too, but uh, he says, Joey, I saw your recent tweet regarding the Nexus S only charging to 95%. This is actually a firmware feature of the phone. Essentially, the phone stops charging at 100% and then allows the battery to drain in standby. Charging kicks in again at around 90%. During the discharge period, your phone will often display fully charged depending on where you look. This causes some confusion. The reason that is that this is there is so that the discharge period is rather there is rather than a constant trickle charge that maintains the battery longevity. And uh, he includes an article in here. Um, and he says, I, I know that the battery charging techniques have been covered on the podcast in the past. Perhaps you can debunk what I verified or verify what I have shared. Thanks, Brad. Um, all right, Brad. So from what I've heard, um, what you're talking about is exactly what's happening with uh, with this device here. And specifically the Samsung Android devices. I, I have actually seen this myself too, where it doesn't uh, it doesn't sit at 100%, especially if you leave it plugged in after it gets to the fully charged mark. Um, so if you want to read all about this article, it's, I'll put a link in the show notes. Click on comment from Brad. Um, but I want to refer back to something that you said here. And it's that... You know, older phones um, were rather inelegant in their charging behavior. Usually they would fill the battery up to the full capacity and then switch over to a trickle charge to maintain that absolute maximum charge that's possible. Um, that offered the highest usage time in the short term, but actually damaged the battery uh, over the course of your ownership. As uh, Battery University in your link explains, the time at which the battery stays at the maximum charge should be as short as possible. Prolonged high voltage uh, promotes corrosion, especially at elevated temperatures. Then you run into another issue uh, in the gauge on the device. Uh, the, the, the actual charge level that you can get out of um, on the device can actually get out of sync. So the battery and the device can you know, not be absolutely in sync with where it is. And uh, so there's a couple of ways to combat it. First, simply do a reset of the phone. Pull the battery, you know, pop it back in. Um, this happens with my iPhone. I see this you know, every once in a while, every couple of weeks. I'll have to reboot it if I haven't. Uh, it's, otherwise, the battery level is kind of wonky and stuff. And that, that absolutely helps me. Um, then you have uh, running batteries all the way down. Um, I recommend at least once per quarter. I try and do it about once per month on my devices um, just to kind of you know, stretch its legs, so to speak, and show it what the full capacity actually is of it. Um, the, the bigger batteries, like laptop batteries, I think benefit more from this. But I will tell you, I, I absolutely believe in this. This is something that manufacturers recommend. I have seen great results. I get long life on all of my batteries. I do this regularly and uh, never really have any issues. In fact, I cannot tell you the last... And granted, I go through a lot of phones, but I can't tell you the last battery that I bought for a phone to replace a battery that had been worn out. That's that's how well it's been. You know, this, this my process has been working for me. Um, and then finally, I, I do want to mention something here in this article. If you do decide to read it, they talk about something called bump charging. Um, it's gained popularity, um, you know, over the past few years. Uh, basically, what it means: you, you plug in a device and charge it all the way. Or you turn it off, plug in it, and charge it all the way up. 
Once the indicator light shows that the device has been fully charged, um, you unplug the device and then plug it back in. Um, typically, it'll start you know, feeding it more power as it's trying to you know, full, fill up the battery even more. It's kind of extending and, and squeezing more power into to the battery cells. Um, people will then disconnect and reconnect the charger multiple times, squeezing a little bit more battery or juice into the battery every time. It does work. Um, it's though one of those things not recommended. Um, you will wear out your battery faster, and uh, so just you know keep keep that uh, heed that warning. I guess I should say because uh, you could have an issue with that. Um, you know, but uh, it's kind of an interesting topic. If you maybe some people even out there are doing it. Yeah. So you know, because I didn't have any time to you know I was uh, just playing with the iPad when I saw that uh, the, the phone just wasn't charging. I saw it over a few days. And I thought maybe it was a fluke or something, but. Uh, uh, that really does put my mind at ease, and of course, it's a completely believable and uh, and very uh, plausible explanation because you know they're they're getting better at managing batteries and, and maintaining their life and keeping them uh, you know long lasting and and doing a technique like this where you're 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 you know topping it off but then not sitting there just forcing more into it to keep it at a hundred percent totally totally full which we've really learned that uh, these new lithium lithium ion batteries really are best you know long term stored at fifty percent so uh, you know keeping them fully fully topped up really actually isn't good for them if they're just sitting there on the shelf. One last thing too, uh, just as far as battery maintenance and stuff uh, is. If you're someone who can top off your phone on a regular basis, do it. Plug it in when you're at home. Plug it in when you're at your desk. Um, you know, there are several partial discharges with frequent rechargers are better for lithium ions than one deep, you know, fully full discharge. Uh, recharging a partially charged lithium ion battery does not harm, harm, cause harm because there's no memory to it. So just kind of keep that in mind. If you're someone who can, when you're sitting at your desk, um, even if you, you don't have a way to plug in your charger to the wall, maybe you can uh, bring in your USB cable, plug it into the computer while you're sitting there working and charge it off the computer. I'm sure a lot of people are doing that. So, uh, I, I do it now. Joey is kind of got me into that that mindset here just uh, using my batteries i have got i plug them in when i can and i uh, keep them topped up so to speak and uh, but again i don't let, let them just sit on the charger typically it's you know charge it up and then pull it off after it's after it's done or at least you know when i when i walk out or at least you know make a phone call then leave it off for a little bit well based on this uh you know based on this it uh it stops charging entirely yeah, so you've got no problem on Android, I guess. But, you know, I, I, I can tell you if you leave an iPhone plugged in, it'll just stay totally topped up and they'll just trickle charge that. So uh, keep that in mind if you're using one of those. And finally today, a question from Michael. He says, I was wondering if there's any word on what update would be coming to the Samsung Charge. Will it be gingerbread or ice cream sandwich? Uh, well, we don't know for sure, of course, but my guess is that we're going to be seeing uh, gingerbread. I think uh, ice cream sandwich would be nice, but I think gingerbread's what's going to be coming out here. My thought on this, gingerbread, uh, probably within the next 60 days on the charge ice cream sandwich we're thinking what i think october november maybe somewhere in there so i, I think it's going to be just beforehand um you know ice cream sandwich will be first to the nexus devices and then who knows who's going to get it we'll see some probably partners with that and it'll get us uh, you know trickled out slowly but surely to everybody well and i won't say that it will go out to everybody i mean it's going to be certain devices by certain carriers it, it'll be here and there it'll be spotty however uh, if you do the uh, you know the, the the routing and use the the, the hacked ROMs like the Cyanjamad, then you should most likely be able to run Ice Cream Sandwich in the future at some point because usually those uh, those ROM builds usually support pretty much every device out there. So if there's not something official by that time that rolls around, definitely look for something that's uh, a custom built ROM. And I honestly don't know 
you know, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't mean that every device was going to be getting it because obviously not everyone will, but we've seen, you know, gingerbread announcements, AT&T last week said, hey, if you uh, want gingerbread and you've got one of our devices from this year, you will be getting it. Uh, but that doesn't mean anything about ice cream sandwich. So you're right. Absolutely. We will see. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, give us a call 206-203-3734 or send an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com and we'll get you on the next show. If you'd like to follow us, you can do so over at Facebook, facebook.com slash the cell phone junkie or on Twitter at twitter.com slash cell phone junkie. Or if you'd like to follow all the stories that we talk about each week, you can do so over at the cell phone junkie. So, Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.